Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. On the night of July 28, 1999, a man is killed in cold blood in front of witnesses. The perpetrator was captured and seemingly brought to justice rather swiftly. But not everything in this case is what it seems. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime in It. On the night of July 28, 1999, businessman Paul Howell had just parked in his parents' driveway in Edmond, Oklahoma. He had just taken his sister, Megan Toby, and his two young daughters back to school shopping, and then they stopped for a bite of ice cream. As Paul exited the car, his daughter, Rachel Howell, who was in the back seat, saw a black man disguised in a stocking cap and a red bandana approach her father. The man put the gun to Paul's head and shot him killing him instantly. The attacker shot the gun one more time as the rest of Paul's family escaped the car. Then the man stole the car, leaving the family in shambles. According to Megan, the carjacker didn't say anything before shooting her brother in the head. It was an unprovoked, violent crime, and the community was desperate to find the culprit. It didn't take a long time for police to make an arrest. Witnesses had seen the tragedy unfold, and along with the family's testimony, police had a solid description of the perpetrator to work with. Witnesses, including Megan, described the carjacker as a black man wearing a red bandana with a black stocking cap that showed about one to two inches of hair sticking out. Three days later, police were sure that two partners in crime, 19-year-old Julius Jones and 20-year-old Christopher Jordan, were the culprits of this cold killing. At Julius's parents' house, police found the murder weapon wrapped in a red bandana, as well as the clothes that the carjacker wore the night of the murder. The young men were charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit a felony. Despite finding the murder weapon at the family home, it was clear from the beginning that not everything in this case was so cut and dry. Julius was born and raised in Oklahoma. He was the second child out of three, and he went to John Marshall High School in Oklahoma City. Julius proved to be a local star basketball player, and he and his friend Christopher was coached by NBA stars Blake and Taylor Griffin's father. Julius's skills did not go unnoticed for long, and he actually earned a partial scholarship to the University of Oklahoma. Unfortunately, Julius dropped 
out of school halfway through his first year and turned to small-time crime, mainly petty theft. He often worked with Christopher to commit these crimes. On the night of the murder, Julius's family claimed that he was home with them, having a family dinner and playing games. Later that night, Christopher visited to spend the night with Julius. There is no hard evidence to prove this claim, but I will note that this crime happened over 20 years ago. The family story about Julius spending the whole night with them has never wavered in those 20 years. That night, Julius claims to have learned about the shooting via a television news report. You see, Paul's murder was breaking news. Edmond, Oklahoma was a predominantly white neighborhood, and it was also a very safe, quiet neighborhood that was not used to violence. They weren't accustomed to having cold-blooded murderers wandering their streets. And the fact that the carjacker was a black man just made racists in the community feel justified. District Attorney Bob Macy, who served the state of Oklahoma for 21 years and had since been named the second deadliest prosecutor, said publicly about the crime, it seemed to be an act of violence committed by black men fueled by drugs. This is the district attorney, okay? A very, very powerful individual saying this. The thing, though, is that there was no evidence that this crime was even fueled by drugs. It was just fear mongering. And yet it worked. Julius did not even fit the description of a black man with one to two inches of hair. He actually was sporting a shaved head that was popular at the time. And actually, it was Christopher who wore his hair at that length. But Julius was the one that was accused of pulling the trigger. Despite not fitting the description and despite his family maintaining that he was at home that night, Julius was still arrested. While being arrested, Julius says that the arresting officer called him the N-word and dared him to run, implying that he wanted an excuse to shoot him. And for those who want to think that this isn't true, around this time up until 2010-ish, white people would just yell the N-word at me for shits and giggles and would make the same jokes. It happens every single day. And unfortunately, the racism carried its way into the courtroom. Despite both of the young men being charged with first-degree murder, Christopher actually agreed to a plea deal where he confessed to just being the getaway driver. He agreed to testify against his friend Julius in exchange for a 30-years prison sentence for murder and conspiracy. The problem here is that guilty pleas like this obviously do not work. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that someone would gladly push the blame on someone else if it meant that they escaped the death penalty. It's just survivor's instinct. And Christopher here was surviving in a system that did not play fair. And so with freedom dangling in front of him like a carrot, Christopher testified against Julius in court. And to make matters worse, Julius's family, who claimed to have witnessed Julius being at home that night, were not allowed to testify in court by Julius's public defender, David McKenzie. And David McKenzie claimed that he just didn't believe the alibi. But I couldn't find any evidence on why he didn't believe this alibi. He just said it was 
wasn't believable. If their family was willing to share their side of the story, then they had every right to do so, especially when a man's life is at stake. During the trial, Julius refused to speak as well, which isn't uncommon when your counsel thinks you're guilty. And his counsel clearly thought he was guilty. In court, they gave you a chance to speak and Julius refused each time. And many took this as him waiving his right then and there. But in reality, it's obvious that he was advised not to speak. Julia's public defender was so bad at his job that later in 2008, he acknowledged in an affidavit that he gave ineffective counsel. No kidding. It's too late. It was too late. The jurors that were picked were all white except one, and one juror brought it to the judge's attention that another juror suggested that they should just get this over with and lynch Julius outside. The judge, though, claimed that this complaint was irrelevant to the case. And when the juror was questioned, she maintained that Julius's race would not have affected her verdict, which is straight up old hot dog water. You can't just ask someone, hey, are you racist? They're going to say no. Let their actions speak. That's what really matters here. Julius did not have a chance at all at having a fair trial. And of course, no surprise here, he was sentenced to death in 2002. And as for Christopher, well, the system worked somewhat for him miraculously. He only ended up serving 15 years of his life sentence. There is a rumor going around that the shorter sentence may have been part of his plea deal and that it was always meant for Christopher to serve half of his sentence in jail and the other half on probation. But this is not true as it doesn't make any sense, really. I mean, how could a police officer save you 15 years for being in jail. It just, they don't have that much power. But what really happened is that Christopher took advantage of sentence reduction credits, which is awarded to an inmate after participating in prison programs, such as classes or working full time. So basically, he just got out on good behavior. And so using these programs, Christopher walked out of jail in 2014, a free man. Three people who were incarcerated with Christopher, though, have said on the record that Christopher had confided in them and admitted that he framed Julius for the murder. Now, the people who confess to these are hardened criminals, okay? So people find them unreliable because of that fact. However, these men were not given anything in return for their statements, unlike Christopher, who, when he took that plea deal, was given a way out of the death penalty, which is a big reward for lying. I don't want to blame Christopher for lying because picture this, you're 20 years old, very young. And can you imagine someone says, hey, you either turn in your friend who worked on this crime with you, allegedly, or you die. It's just not a fair game. The game has no winners. And it doesn't help that Oklahoma is just really bad at executions, like embarrassingly bad. See, lethal injections are more likely to be botched by any other form of execution. In fact, Hospira stopped manufacturing sodium theopental because of its off-label use in American prison executions. And so for a while there, some state prisons were doing everything they can to obtain this drug, including using illegal means. This is crazy because a prison who house criminals who break the law are then obviously breaking the law. 
And even the feds had to get involved because these jails were buying the stuff illegally from India. Literally madness. Absolutely positively madness. The blood hunger here is insane. But Oklahoma had a good idea, okay? They decided to make their own lethal injection because how hard can it be? They made a mixture of mitazolam, which will knock you out, vicaronium bromide, which will paralyze you, and then potassium chloride, which will stop your heartbeat. In making the drug, they did not consult any anesthesiologist or pharmacist, possibly because no professional would okay this combination of drugs. This combo is known to be very painful to the one being euthanized. As a result, veterinarians don't even use it. So they wouldn't even put your dog down using this method because it's so painful. But Oklahoma thought it was a good idea. They decided to test the science experiment on real death row inmates. One inmate, Clayton Lockett, was one of the unlucky few. And spoiler, it did not go well. Clayton was in visible pain during his execution and he actually said something's wrong. And he said this after they deemed him unconscious, which is insanity. Who's deeming him unconscious? Because that can't be that hard to deem someone unconscious. Insanity. His death was so horrific that witnesses of the execution were escorted out of the viewing room. Lockett struggled for 43 minutes before the execution was halted due to, and I quote, vein failure. Clayton died of a massive heart attack hours after the execution began. And Oklahoma did not learn their lesson, though, and botched two more executions after Clayton's. So even if Julius is guilty, he clearly did not get a fair trial. As his own public defender, David McKenzie, later stated in 2008, if I had presented the photographs of the confessions in the prior statements, I believe Mr. Jones would have been acquitted. And so Julius had no business being on death row in the first place. Death row is for perpetrators whose trial showed no unreasonable doubt. And Julius's case is filled with reasonable doubt. From the racism in the courtroom to him not fitting the perp's description, I don't know how this case was able to hold water. And whether or not Julius is guilty, I truly can't tell. It doesn't help that he pled guilty to another armed carjacking case right after he was convicted in the Howell case. And this happened prior to the killing of Howell. But the thing is, in that case, he was just armed. While in Howell's case, the perp shot him unprovoked with no words or nothing. It was a cold-blooded killing. So the two crimes just seem very different to me. One obviously has the car as the main agenda for the crime, and the other seemed to enjoy killing and stealing and traumatizing people. They're so different to me that it's almost as if they were done by two different people. And so with all of this evidence, celebrities such as Viola Davis and Kim Kardashian are trying to remove Julius from death row. These efforts did not go unnoticed. The red bandana used in the carjacking was retested. The test concluded that it was, in fact, Julius's DNA on the bandana, which means... 
absolutely nothing to me because said bandana was hidden by someone in, in Julius's home. He could have worn the bandana. It could have even been his bandana, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he was the one wearing it that night. Him and Jordan were very close. Remember, Jordan spent the night at Julius's house the night of the murder. It's like going to my in-law's house and finding my DNA on an item of clothing. It doesn't mean that it's my clothing. It just means that my DNA became in contact with the clothing by some unknown means. It doesn't conclusively say anything about Julius's guilt. 6.4 million people have signed an online petition that urges Oklahoma to stop Julius's execution. On November 1st, Julius made one final plea to stop his execution and the board voted three to one in favor of a pardon. But in the end, Julius's life rested in the hands of Governor Kevin Stitt. Two hours before his execution on November 18, 2021, Governor Stitt granted Julius life without parole, going against the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board, who suggested that Julius deserved parole. The family of Paul Howell believe without any doubt that Julius is the killer and they believe that everyone who has taken an interest in the case are purposefully looking past key factors. I read their evidence and it's nothing that we don't already know. Absolutely nothing new. But something that told me all I needed to know about their stance was their belief that Julius's conviction was not contaminated by racism. And they state on their website, Justice for Paul Howell, Dot com. The allegation of racism was never made until 2017. The juror making this claim had been extensively questioned by the judge and the attorneys prior to this time regarding the inappropriate, not racial comments that have been made by a fellow juror, but never mentioned any racial epithets. No other juror reported any misconduct. Said juror testified under oath that nothing she presumed hearing would have altered her guilty vote end quote we cannot dispute this claim and as a result i just can't take it at face value and we can't dispute it because the racist statement in question was redacted from court transcripts. Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals stated, we find no evidence that race played any role in the jury's sentencing determination, end quote. And the juror who made this claim did not mention that the N-word was used until 2017. But here's the thing, the juror probably didn't feel comfortable saying that word in court. And they thought that their complaint of racist behavior would have been taken seriously without the use of the word. This, there's no evidence, so it didn't happen stance is an ignorant cop-out that is still being used today, and I'm over it. Either come up with a better defense or call it what it is. I mean, if you want real evidence on racism in the Oklahoma court system, all you got to do is look at the Vera Institute of Justice's publicly made studies on the incarceration of blacks versus whites in the state. In Oklahoma, black people make up only 8% of the state population, but a whopping 25% of the prison populations. So even if the courtroom wasn't racist that day, which it clearly was as a juror felt the need to complain and the judge heard their complaint, the whole system was already not going to work for people like Julius and people like me. 
If you wish to help with Julius's plight, please visit www.justiceforjuliusjones.com. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime in Net. And now it's time for the knitter mission. So you may have noticed I moved the knitter mission to the end. And I do that just in case there's anyone watching who just wants to hear the story uninterrupted. And so far, so good. I really like it at the end. It kind of helps lift you up a little bit after listening to such a troubling case. I had to stop researching this case like over and over again. I had a hard time researching this case, um, not because the information wasn't there, but because it was just mind boggling to me that this was even a case. And this was not even that long ago, 1999, 1999. Like, come on, come on. This case is literal hot dog water. Okay, it should not have ever ended in anything but a mistrial. It makes absolutely no sense. No sense at all. But I digress. This is the knitter mission. And for the knitter mission, I am knitting my husband's uh, Christmas gift. He is getting one of my zipper sweaters. And the reason why he's getting one, this is his first sweater ever. I've never knitted a sweater for my husband Ever. We've been together for almost 10 years now, married for about five or six, and then together for three to four before that. And in those years, he's never gotten a sweater. He's gotten hats. He's gotten socks. He's gotten smaller things. My husband is six one. He used to play football in high school and he lifted for years after that. So he's a big guy. You know, he doesn't lift anymore, but he's still a big dude and he's tall. So as a result, it's like, that's a lot of knitting. You know, I'm only 5'3". I don't want to knit a sweater for someone that has six feet worth of arm length. Okay, that's exhausting. And that's the main reason why he never got a sweater. He also never got a sweater because he is picky. He is so dang picky. He does not want a sweater with buttons. And when you first start sweater knitting, zippers are daunting. So I didn't want to do my first zipper and it turn out like trash you know what I mean so he didn't want buttons he didn't want anything cool on there no color work no cables he wanted it to fit big um he wanted nothing he literally wanted nothing that I wanted to knit so that's why he never got anything from me and so this year I finally decided to do it because I want everyone to have matching sweaters. I'm knitting one for Bo. Let me pull it out. This is Bo's yoke. If you're not watching, I'll do a photo of it. Oh no, I just messed it up. I really want my boys to have matching sweaters at least one time in their life. So I'm knitting these sweaters big for everyone because as time goes, our body changes and I want to make sure that my husband has no excuse to not wear this. I actually have it fairly big right now. It's like the same size of a sweater that he wears all the time, if not like an inch or so bigger. But I'm thinking about making it even bigger because go big or go home. And I don't want any excuse okay for him not to wear. I don't want him to say, oh, it's too small. No, it ain't. I made that sweater 15 inches bigger than your 
chest circumference, it will fit. So I'm super excited. And I knitted one for myself. I don't have it on me. I'll take a picture of it, put it in the show notes or put one next to me if you're watching. So we're all going to have this matching sweater and I cannot wait. But the best part of this matching sweater thing that we're doing, that I'm doing, is that I've been knitting his Christmas present in front of him for a week now. And he has not noticed what I'm knitting. He has not asked me. He has not showed any interest in it. I think to him, he just assumes that the needles are like biological logically like attached to my hands. I don't think he really notices when I'm knitting or what I'm knitting and I just find it hysterical. So I've been posting pictures of me knitting his his Christmas present in plain sight of him on Instagram. And it's been a hoot. I plan on posting one every week until Christmas. So and then at the end, I will post his reaction. So I cannot wait to do that. But before I close out this knitter mission next week, I just want to point out that it is the season finale and I will be having a wonderful guest to help me tell next week's story. And that's it for the knitter mission, y'all. Thank you for more information, including show notes and sources and photos, please visit www.thedrunknitter.com slash true crime. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.